Thanks for joining us for episode five of The Digital Bond, the podcast where Cyberduck interviews the brightest minds in digital to discover what makes them tick. In this episode, we're joined by CEO and founder of Unleash company, Anuka Gusul. Unleash works with startups to build and execute on great people strategies, operational, infrastructure, and cultural work streams. Through their work, they're able to help businesses build their culture, improve recruitment, and make sure that teams are super productive, highly engaged, and performing to the best of their abilities. During this chat with Anouk, we explore how businesses are going to adapt in the future as we shift towards a remote first or hybrid style of working, why a toxic culture is bad for everyone, and why bosses need to show consideration towards their staff's personal life and how it impacts their professional life. Enjoy the pod. Hey Anouk, it's great to have you here today. Um, how, how have you been? How's the week been? Hi Danny, thanks very much for having me. The week has been great. Uh, tomorrow is Friday, which is a team day for us. We spend a lot of the day collaborating and learning, so it's always a joy coming into Thursday because that's like my Friday. Cool. So, so tell us a bit more about um, what you're doing at Unleashed. Yeah, so hi uh, everybody, my name's Anouk. I'm CEO and founder of Unleashed. We work with growing startups and scaling businesses on all things people and culture, really helping them to establish strong foundations for growth, uh, making sure they've got the right practices and processes in place to really help them scale both successfully and sustainably, working with them, uh, businesses as well, to really put people at the heart of business strategy so that people are enabled to grow the business in the way that the business wants to grow. Thanks, thanks. That's a great, great uh, intro. And I, I guess the key word here is is, is, is culture. So, so, and obviously we've seen it um, where, where certain businesses have fantastic cultures, you know, where people are, are empowered. And of course, examples where cultures become toxic. What, what, what really, and, and I guess most aspiring and, visionary people want to build a strong culture but but what is really required to build that that amazing culture yeah so we can start there with kind of what is culture um but that's really hard to define because culture is in effect everything you know you have one whether you craft it or whether you can identify it or not it's just how you do things around here and it's not based on what's said in a business, it's based on what's done in a business. So really a leader's role is to create an environment where a culture can grow. And that's made up of everything, your processes, your policies, your values, your belief systems, psychological safety, and so on. And I think what's really important when we talk about culture is also um, more obviously values and their associated behaviors, because your culture will grow off the back of what you role model as a leader, what you tolerate and what you don't tolerate, what's okay to happen in the business and what's not okay to happen in the business. I think there's a couple of misconceptions, however, around good culture versus bad culture because that can be really subjective. You know, the the, the kind of environment that I might thrive in might be a very different environment to what somebody else feels is a good culture for them to be able to work in. What does exist 100% is toxic cultures. And the difference between what for me is a good culture or for me is a bad culture, a toxic culture is the kind of culture that really is bad for everyone and predominantly bad for people's health. Um, Often that happens when there's an inauthenticity 
when it comes to leadership. So the, the leader might say something and might want something to be a particular way, but they behave very differently. So there's a lot of inconsistency and inauthenticity, which means that things start to become toxic because people don't know where they stand, what they're doing, how things work. Um, they think that what, something should be one thing and it's actually a different thing entirely. Wow, that's, that's a great explanation. And, and, and I guess one of the things that you do is help and coach um, business leaders and managers to, to revitalize or revamp their culture. I mean, it doesn't sound like an easy thing, right? No, it's not. It's definitely not an easy thing, but I'm a big believer. And if you, the earlier you start or the sooner you start, the easier it is. For a lot of people, it's a really strange concept to very early in the business journey define or craft your, your culture. But actually, it makes it far easier to kind of steer the, the ship or the speedboat, if you like, if you've thought about these things early. So what we typically do is we will go into, um, into businesses and ask them what kind of culture they would like to have in one, two, five years' time and why. And we work with leadership teams on this. And the reason why that's important is because it's really important to get alignment across the leadership team about what a great culture for their business looks like because they can then hold themselves a little bit more accountable. And then what you can do is you can think about as part of that workshop, what is it that you want to see? What is it that you want to hear? What is it that you want to feel in your business as it you know, grows up, if you like? What, what, how will it be as an adult? If you were to write the glass door of you, and we talk about this a lot, and it's quite a fun exercise. If you were to write a future glass door of you, what would it say? And then that starts to give you your outcome, your success criteria. And then as a result, you can start to make plans and build plans. You're not going to get there straight away, but you start to become very intentional about your behavior, about how you're going to get there. It's almost like reverse engineering, like, you know, 100%. beginning at the end and then working backwards. That, that's really, um, really interesting. And um, I guess another question is like around, so it's obviously once somebody hires you to start improving their, your building a culture or defining it, is everybody aligned? Um, and how do you, I guess, deal with the alignment? Yeah, no, not everybody is always aligned. Uh, it's quite common that people haven't taken the time either as a result of capability or ca capacity to sit down as a group and talk about culture. Unless you've got a people person in place, it's very common that that hasn't happened. So actually, when you first start talking about culture and the business, you find lots of different things that people want. And some of those are very different to each other. So then it's a case of workshopping the impact of different things. I think what people forget a lot, for example, is like org design. So depending on what kind of structure you want in your business, and this is just kind of an example of the different things to think about, depending on what kind of structure, that will impact your culture. So if you're very hierarchical, then uh, you, there's going to be more bureaucracy, uh, probably. Communication will often be top down. There'll be less voices that'll be heard but actually decision-making will probably be quite quick. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Whilst if you have a culture that's far more holocratic um, and people kind of spend a lot more time collaborating and ide ideating, uh, then you're going to have more vo voices being heard. You're going to have um, people who are able to perhaps 
bring themselves to work a little bit more. There's probably going to be a bit more conflict, but that could be maybe managed in better ways. But decision making might be slower because more people will be involved in that process. So, so things like structure will make a big difference to um, to your culture as well. So yes, getting alignment on all of those aspects and everybody understanding the impact is really important. Yeah, and I guess culture is really important for both, I guess, attraction and hiring, and, and also eventually like creating that um, sense of um, well-being and making people ultimately comfortable and, and, and happy. Um, how, how do you sort of see, see kind of, I guess, the cultural role in, in those two things? Uh, the cultural role in well-being and happiness. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 it's huge. Um, happiness is a very subjective term. Um, you know, what, what makes one person happy and another person happy is quite different. But the sense of wellness is also down to the individual, but it's hugely important. There's, if, if a company's culture and how that impacts well-being and the desire for leaders to focus on well-being needs selling into a business, then actually I think there's something a little bit wrong. I'm hugely biased, obviously, but I call bullshit on splitting personal and professional lives. You can't split them. If I'm an individual and I'm not well, then I can't do my best work. If most of my time is spent either at work or working, then that's going to have a significant impact on my ability to do the good work. What it won't impact, actually, is the potential that I have to be able to do good work. So it becomes a leader's role to really help people to be able to fulfill their potential. You spend so much time hiring people. Hopefully you spend time onboarding them. Then if they're not well and you don't support them, what's the point? It, like To me, it actually doesn't make sense. Businesses want people to be able to perform really well and investing in people's wellness as a result is how that that that's going to happen and that's part of the culture that's part of psychological safety that's part of creating you know resilient teams it's it's, it's super important i think when we last spoke you were talking about like the difference between a resilient person to a resilient team is one more important than the other, or do they do they work together? Uh, yes, I think I think resilient teams in business is more important than resilient individuals uh, because it's far easier to be resilient as a team than it is as an individual. Of course, it's really important for individual performance, and it has to exist that people are uh, resilient. But no person is an island. So if you have teams that are, and I'm going to use the word again, I'll get really sick of it, resilient in your business, then it doesn't matter if a person has a bad day because we all have them. What you we all need is a team that has our backs. So resilient teams will celebrate their wins as a team. They'll work to improve their processes and practices. They don't blame, they learn. They know that their role as a team is to achieve together. And I say that a little bit like it's easy. It's, it's not easy. It takes a lot of psychological safety and a lot of building, and that takes time. But it can and should be done. So why, I guess, resilient teams don't just achieve their goals. Um, 
more often they do achieve their goals more often and to a higher degree but they don't just do that they're also more creative they learn faster and they're more adaptable and agile and if you're adaptable and agile you're going to thrive in a world which is continuously changing and you're going to work far better together and that's why resilient teams are more uh, are more important a small amount more important to resilient individuals yeah because i guess you know you, you spoke about the obviously um unpredictable world that we live in and I, I guess one of the things that potentially might throw a less stable team is if you keep changing their priorities whereas a, a resilient team would, would be able to adapt better right yeah absolutely uh, re resilience helps you it's not about being upbeat all the time and positive all the time it's about actually when there are setbacks you can come back from that and you can come back from it really well and and stronger and there's always going to be setbacks in business i mean if, if someone tells you that, that everything is rosy every day all the time they're lying <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's i guess what sort of role does culture have in attraction and it's bringing talent into into a business because one of the things that you know i i i've seen obviously um you know we've, we've been hiring a lot of people um sort of almost doubled the size of the team in the last year and sometimes there's the need to bring people in quickly how, how can i guess a culture a good culture um help you to source and um interview and, and and then kind of ultimately decide who the right people are and whether they're going to be a good cultural fit yeah it might seem particularly from the point of speed it might seem a little bit um back to front but actually taking the time to really codify the culture taking the time to have make sure that everybody is clear on what great looks like in this business in terms of what we're trying to achieve, um, what our you know, skills are and, and what um, our behaviours and our motivations are and the way in which we like to work. If everybody's clear on that, it means that you can scale the culture far faster and you can grow far faster because all the different people involved in hiring for however many roles it is, can then be responsible for making sure that they're looking for cultural alignment at the same time during the recruitment process. And with recruiting, you know, often what you'll have is if you've got a set of values as part and they're genuine values, if they're a set of values, you've distilled what the behaviours are that demonstrate that those values are actually true. It's far easier then to interview against those values, against those behaviours rather, and have questions that help you to identify if somebody is going to be able to work well in your environment or, or, or not. Um, and therefore you can grow at speed by taking the time. You can grow fast without doing that, but what typically happens is that then there's a lot of mishires and hires that don't work out well. And then all of a sudden you're, you're not growing because lots of people are leaving your business and you're having to replace them. Amazing uh, wisdom there. I mean, a lot of this reminds me of um, Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, where he talks about clarity and how important that clarity is and um particularly behaviors and how you should you should hire for behaviors so, so that's amazing to sort of hear it from from someone like yourself as well um that's that's um fantastic yeah Cl clarity clarity is hugely important we all have a need as people uh, from and it's a neuroscientific need and it's you know it's been studied and it comes from David uh, Rock who talks about SCARF which is an acronym 
for status, certainty, autonomy, um, relatedness and fairness. And that clarity piece feeds into our need for certainty. Now, some of us need it more than others. Some of us are quite good at just working and going with the flow, <clears throat> pardon me. But if you're trying to create a business that's all achieving a particular goal and you all want to head in the one direction rather than kind of various bits and pieces here or there, everybody needs to be really clear on what the purpose of the business is. You know, what does it exist? What's the vision? What's the mission? What are the values? What are we trying to achieve and how are we going to achieve it? So your strategy, what are the goals? What's their ability? How do they contribute to the success of the business? Where do they find meaning? And what does great performance look like? So one of the most important things I think managers can do to have impact with their teams is very much to talk about what does great in their particular role look like and thinking of what I call the three A's uh, of performance. The first one is action. So what is it that people need to achieve, need to get done? The second one is ability. What are the skills and knowledge that people need to have <clears throat> pardon me, or develop? And the third one is attitude. So it's the behaviors and the motivation. Um, and the highest performers are the ones that if you bring those three A's into a Venn diagram, they sit in the center. They have equal amounts of all of those, equal, equally high amounts, by the way, um, mm. of, of all of those. And that's typically because they're super clear on what it is that they need to do and what it is that, that great looks like. People don't come to work, um, and I say come to work, that can be at home or that can be um, in the office. They don't work intending to underperform. Um, people want to perform and often it's just because they don't know what the expectations are and therefore aren't meeting them because they're going in blind. Um, so that that clarity piece that you mentioned is, is super important. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I, I, I guess, the, one of the most important things is is like how people manage other people, like man, managerial skills. So this is something that that we've discussed um, before, and sort of having um, almost a mentality of radical candor. You know, so there's a great book by by uh, Kim Scott, and, and she she talks about you know caring, but not you know over caring, um, where where you're able to give radical feedback right and and candid feedback what what are your views on like the top i guess manager skills and how can managers who, who are listening to this uh, podcast sort of up their game and become better managers yeah so the top two skills that i mean there's a lot of skills that managers need to be able to do but the top two they're going to have the biggest impact on their team's ability to do great work is the, the manager's ability to coach and the manager's ability to provide good feedback. Radical candor um, and, and what kind of, you know, the, the concept that Kim Scott put together is very good. I, the problem I have with it is that I see it when it gets applied in business, I see it often as an excuse for people to just be quite rude and say, oh, well, I'm just candid. And actually, you know, the, that, that square in her diagram is caring and honest and that caring piece is actually important because if you if you don't deliver feedback in a way that is honest but in a way that shows you care you're going to stimulate threat responses in people and they're not going to hear you anyway they go oh, they're going to get defensive or they're going to ignore you know the, the freeze fight or flight 
piece is going to be stimulated. So the caring piece there is really important. So being able to give good feedback, uh, and it's actually caring to give honest feedback as well. Um, I think that that's important to know because you care about your people's development. Um, so the ability to give good feedback and the ability to coach are the, are the two most you know ultimate skills. But basically, you know, what people look for from their manager will be different from from person to person because we all have different needs as individuals. So it's the role of the manager, and it's a responsibility that managers shouldn't take lightly. Um, that they speak to the individuals within their team and they find out how will I get the best out of you? How will you get the best out of you and how can I support that? What do you need from me? You know, hire amazing people and get out of their way, like unblock any blockers that they have and make sure that they're able to do great work. Um, learn about the people that work within your team as humans not as resources. And I think that's probably the, like, the key pro tip there <laughs> that they are. <laughs> Interesting. So you, you recommend like that managers sit down with the people that they manage and, and have a conversation like, how do you want to be managed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One-to-ones one, one shouldn't, they, they can involve updates on what's going on, but if that can be written down, particularly in a remote world, that can just be written down. Have the conversations that build connection, that build safety, where people are comfortable, like if they've got a problem, sharing that problem, because if they're not sharing it with their manager early, it's going to build into something that they're going to want to try and hide, and it causes bigger problems. You know, talk about what's going well for that individual, talk about how they've developed, talk about or haven't developed perhaps, talk about how they're performing against that what great looks like role profile type um, piece, talk about the things that have been challenging for them, how their well-being is. It's a really tough time for everybody. How are they yeah. coping? Um, so all of those things are important for one-to-ones. Yeah, I mean, I guess obviously in the last sort of 14 months now, life and kind of work the lines have blurred so much because obviously we're, we're, we're you know we're working from home and people seem to each other's uh, living rooms and um, personal things that probably could have been masqueraded now, now can't be um so, so I, guess, I guess that kind of whole kind of work-life separations become a lot more difficult and and managers have to play a role that they probably didn't play before. Um, what, what are your views on that? Yeah, they do. And I, I think it's a good thing if managers are able to deal with conversations around personal life well. And I, and I do think companies need to develop their managers and what's termed soft skills, but they're not at all soft. They're extraordinarily hard. Um, develop managers to be able to kind of have those conversations as well. I'm not necessarily saying that everything that's personal needs to come into the workplace, but what I'm saying is that it's very difficult for individuals to separate work and personal lives, particularly now, but it always has been to an extent. So it's really important for managers to be able to find ways, predominantly through coaching skills, to support the individuals within their team for them to be able to do great work. Um, and that's what I'm saying there. I'm not talking about the individual needing to. You know, vulnerability is important, and role modelling is important. But it's it's 
you know, ultimately for a manager, it's how to support their team members to be able to do the best work of their life. Yeah, we're headed, heading towards hopefully some 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 summer in this country. Uh, oh, that'd be nice. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, what what? Uh, and, and I know you don't have like a uh, time machine where you can go sort of into the future. Let's say into 2022, 2023. But how do you see this kind of new hybrid world with with people? Some people, I guess going into offices part-time, some people choosing to stay uh, remote and, and, and trying to, to make work um, efficient. Because I guess we were talking also uh, when we last uh, had a conversation about asynchronous mm. working patterns and stuff. So, so, so where do you kind of, I guess, see the world of work going now? And probably, I guess, within the digital kind of space, which is where most of your clients are, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be hybrid. Um, I'll, let me cover off a few definitions because I think this is important because people talk about hybrid work, working remote first, you know, all of that a little bit um, differently. Um, by the way, kind of this stuff comes straight out of Life Labs, who are amazing de development um, business. If you haven't heard of them, they've got some great resources on hybrid working. So um, this isn't just all mine, uh, but it's how I've taken kind of the work that they've done and how we've looked to apply it within the businesses that we, we've worked. And Life Labs don't just train, but they do a lot of research with companies, uh, both here and in the US, actually. So from, like, from an uh, office first is obviously the majority of people working in a physical location. And there are some people, and this is probably what a lot of businesses were like before, some people who are remote here or there. Remote first is the majority of employees working remotely. Sometimes there is the option, in fact, there will be the option for people to work from different, uh, from little offices or hubs. Fully remote or fully distributed is everybody working remotely. There is no office at all. And then hybrid, co-located employees, some are remote, some are in the office, some do a bit of both and they and, and they move around between two days and the three days in the office and then at home. So I'm a huge believer actually for hybrid to truly work that you have to operate as remote first. I think this last year or perhaps the the last six months actually, because the first six months were very much reactive and survival mode, but the last six months have been a really good opportunity to start being a little bit proactive in terms of how you're going to make it work. If you haven't started doing that, I think some companies will be feeling some pain either right now or they'll feel some pain very soon, especially as they try and figure it out uh, going back into the office. What's worked really well for businesses in the last while and what will work kind of going forward, particularly when it comes to kind of asynchronous versus not asynchronous, there's three three buckets that we need to think about when managing kind of hybrid and remote work. The first one, again, this is straight out of Life Labs. The first one is kind of the managing comms or communications. The second one is managing connection. And the third one is managing energy. And what I find genius about this is when you bucket like that, it makes it really easy to think, if I need to manage communications, what is it that I need to be looking at? So this is very much around always be documenting. Everything should be written down and easy to find. 
this is really the only way to avoid meetings that are a waste of time, the whole Zoom fatigue uh, phenomenon, the slowing down of decision-making or understanding. Write down what, why, how, who, and even like co-create a communication playbook between, you know, with, with people in the company about this is how we are going to communicate going forward to make sure that everybody gets the right information. Interesting, yeah, because we 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 have like a Slack uh, etiquette, which is how to use Slack, because obviously, not only for ourselves internally, but also for clients. And I think when you're talking about um, knowledge, are you referring to wikis and systems like that? Yeah, wikis, um, decks that have everything written down. Uh, Notion is really handy as kind of a place to have various links on on different things. So it could be your vision and your mission and your values, or it could be um, the goals that we've set for the year and why we've set that goals. It could be meeting etiquette that you might have. It could be a Slack etiquette. It's just everything is written down with good rationale so that people can find all of that information, including updates around how people are progressing on goals, um, things like that as well. Cool. Sure. And, and can, can you see, I mean, obviously lots of businesses in digital have benefited from, um, you know, not um, purposely, but have benefited from the pandemic and have become very efficient and they've been able to hire people and expand you know and it's for it's forced them i guess to go out there and 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 hire people all over the place right whereas before they wouldn't they would be confined to their geographical you know 20 miles 30 miles 40 miles do you do you sort of see a situation in the future where businesses will be hiring young talents who who would not even meet their colleagues face to face, um, or would you recommend some type of combination or hybrid way uh, where where those individuals were to have some real face time as well? Yeah, it, I mean, personally, I think having FaceTime at least every now and again is important. Even those big companies that have, you know, GitHub, for example, companies that have been remote first for a very long time. Um, get the teams together on a quarterly basis. And it's important to have that because that's like the second bucket I was talking about is managing that connection. It's so important that people, I mean, it's part of our makeup. It's part of our brain structure. You know, we're, we're wired to be able to be part of a group. And if you don't feel like you belong, then you feel, you know, what's considered social exclusion. What's interesting with social exclusion is that it actually stimulates the same part of the brain as physical pain. Um, so it's it, they're one in the same, and building that connection is important, particularly if people are well, not particularly, or even well, particularly if people are new. Um, finding those connections is critical. Some of the some of the things that we've actually seen over the last year is that there's this. In a, a number of businesses, there's this the team that was pre-pandemic and the team that has started since the pandemic who haven't met anybody. And the turnover or the employee churn um, amongst the people who have started since the pandemic started is higher than those that, that had started before because they haven't had the ability to build friendships, make connections, get emotionally connected Um uh, with with people or have kind of really good social interactions. So that's something that's really important. And that's the stuff you can't do asynchronously. That's the stuff that can't be written down. Yeah. It's about having really good face-to-face -face time uh, with people, uh, definitely.
Yes, yeah, so all of the companies, I guess, that have their quarterly retreats and quarterly, that's the way to do it, basically. Yeah, cool. yeah. I, well, yes, there's also options around if you're going to be uh, remote first, but there's lots of things to cover off during onboarding that perhaps you come to wherever it might be for a two-week onboarding period. You're put up in a hotel, you get to know the team really well, and then you go back to where you live Um and uh, do the work. Um, there, there are lots of different ways to do it, depending on what kind of business you are. But the important thing is that you're really intentional about how you do it. You don't leave it to just like, it'll work itself out, sink or swim. You like really have to work hard to make it happen well. Cool. And uh, yeah, just in terms of like life labs, are they, is that a learning company or a medical genetics? Because I, I just sort of Googled them. I haven't heard of them before. No, they they're definitely a learning company. Um, oh yeah, Life Labs Learning. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. got they're, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so it's lifelabslearning.com. Yeah, I haven't heard of those guys before. I'll check them they're, out. They're based in the US, but they've obviously got a lot of uh, online courses as well at the moment, and they're they're, they're just very they're excellent. <laughs> no, great, great. Um, yeah, and finally, um, you've written about, I think, or, or you were about to write about your 15 kind of mm. trends for uh, managers and professionals. Um, so when's that going live? Yeah, actually, I need to get around to doing that. We've been so busy <laughs> that we've written them down. But we did, We um, it was really interesting kind of reflecting on on the last year. We, we gathered data for... Uh, from obviously what we saw, anecdotal observational data. We gathered data from surveys from our clients. We aggregated all of that information and we also got data from non-clients as well. Um, and we put that together and we identified 15 trends over the course of, um, of the last year. Some positive trends um, and some trends that you know really require a little bit of uh, fixing and I think for for managers I'm not going to cover them all now because actually we probably need like a whole hour um, to do so but I think what's what's quite important for managers and for people people um, there's probably five um, which I'll, I'll, I'll briefly cover now because it, it, it will make a, a difference hopefully practical difference to, to, to them if they're listening but one, learning by osmosis has decreased. And that's quite natural and obvious given that we're no longer in the office. Um, that doesn't mean, however, that it needs to be that way. And that's where the in intentionality and the bringing to life loads of opportunities for learning is really important. Uh, asynchronous, as we've mentioned, is kind of now the buzzword of 2020. Um, and it's allowed people to really do things in their time independently of others. And that's a good, good thing. However, number three, the levels of con uh, connection between teammates are reducing. Um, and we've, we've, we've discussed a bit of that, so I won't kind of continue and go over it. Um, number four, except for whole industries that have pretty much had to hibernate, there's loads of evidence that suggests that mobility of people from job to job, company to company, has not decreased. In fact, it's increased um, because people are starting to think about what's really important for them, what kind of work, what kind of life matters to them, and are moving for that. Great talent will find other jobs. They won't stay with you just because it's a pandemic. Um, and that's a really important thing for managers to think about. Um, 
And the, I guess the last, like, of, of the five that I'll mention here, and, and, and it's actually quite thankfully because it's a drum that we've been beating for a long time, more businesses are really starting to think about people strategy alongside strategies like product development, go-to-market strategy, revenue strategies as well, which means that people can really start to go to the centre of business success, um, which is really important. No, fantastic. And I love, obviously, it's a great note to, to finish on because you, you on your website it says HR is dead, long live people. And I think yeah. if you think about the words HR, it's human resources. It, it's it's looking at people, you know, like machinery, right? It's, it's yeah. human resources. It's just another thing that that yeah. you know came from the manufacturing era, right? An industrial revolution. So where people were resources in those days. So yeah. so I think sort of finishing with that where, where you have to put your people first is fantastic so um it's been great to chat and um yeah it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show danny thank you so much i love a good chat about this stuff i could talk for hours <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs>